You're listening to Your Day Brighter, the podcast, real reasons to have hope in this world. Hey, I'm your host, Tracy Tiernan, and I am hanging with a very dear friend of mine. His name is Rick Little, and I can't wait for you to meet this man. Now, to, to know Rick is to just know a man who is fully present, who is a gracious, generous, loving friend, a sage. Rick is the person that we go to when we have questions about anything. It's like, I got to call Rick. Uh, so Rick is a wise man. That's one thing to know about Rick. But Rick is, he is an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur. Some people have even called Rick a serial entrepreneur. He has created uh, so many important organizations and initiatives that are still having impact in hundreds of countries around the world today. And you're like, wait a minute, what? And, and you don't know him yet? You're about to know him. You're about to meet a great man, one of my favorite people I'm so grateful that he's my friend, and I'm really excited to introduce him to you. I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by this conversation and challenged as well. So sit back, relax, grab a mug of something that you love, and enjoy this great conversation with my friend, Rick Little. Hi, Tracy. Hi. It is so good to be with you <laughs> and uh, to have this opportunity uh, with you. Just kind of talk and share and see where see where the Lord leads. I want to share this verse. I believe, Rick Little, that this is a verse that's really significant to you. First Chronicles 28.20. Don't be frightened by the size of the task, for the Lord my God is with you. He will not forsake you. He will see to it that everything is finished correctly. Amen. So, Rick Little, as we dive in right now, tell me why that particular verse has been sort of a life verse, a motto, a guiding principle for you. That verse actually has been one that's lived in my heart for decades. Wow. Uh, because it, it, it applies to everything. Be strong and courageous. And if you take add in a, a piece from one of the translations, be strong and courageous and get to work. Get to work. For the Lord thy God will not forsake you. And there's so many things that, uh, that could cause one to be fearful and be frightened mm -hmm. by the size of the task. Overcoming uh, pain, overcoming addiction, overcoming a marriage that's not working, overcoming kids that you're worried about, overcoming self-doubt, overcoming obstacles in your life, whatever they may be, mm -hmm. poverty, living in a war-torn neighborhood, going to a school that doesn't work. Uh, you know, there are just so many things. And so when I, although that verse was not written in that context, it so applies, like all of Scripture, to the fullness of our lives. And so for me, that verse, I apply it in everything. Uh, really, whatever the task is before me, um, not to be afraid, uh, because I know that God is with me in it. Uh, whatever it is that I'm working with or through or around, he's there. You have sought in your life to undertake some things that have been pretty big, that many of us would shrink back from. And you have created organizations that have built in to youth all over the world that are still in existence today. Quest is just one of those organizations. IYF, International Youth Foundation, um, Imaginations, Silatech. Uh, uh, these organizations go on and on. And these are organizations that advocate for young people to have opportunities to be lifted up, to be treated with dignity and honor. I got to know where that passion came from, from you, Rick, to build into young people. I was 19 years old, grew up in a small farming town in rural Ohio, 800 people in my little town, one stoplight. <laughs> and, you know, I grew up in a, in a family that was a deeply hurting family, like so many families. Uh, struggling with addiction and, and mental illness. And, and uh, anyone who knows anything about growing up in families, particularly as a kid, when you have two out-of-control parents, 
then it's never just about the addiction. It's about all of the other things that surround it, the behaviors, the choices, the, the violence. And so living in that and coming through that with God's grace, um, mm-hmm. it led me on a path in my life. Uh, and I've thought often, you know, so many kids uh, today and all generations before who grow up in lots of different kinds of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I became obsessed. God put a fire in my belly of how do you help young people find light in the middle of their darkness, whatever the darkness is. How does, how does a young person who's trying to maneuver and manage their way through a hard thing, mm-hmm. how do they find light in the middle of that darkness? And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, And for me, it came uh, through the person uh, that God put in my life, who was the head of Youth for Christ, Campus Life in my area. And he entered into my life, um, started showing up at all these places. He wasn't supposed to be. I was there. But I just kept noticing he would kind of be around and would befriend me. And invite me to join wow. other young people and come to a club meeting and whatever. Go out for a group with pizza. But this amazing youth worker who loved Jesus, he became the hands and feet of Jesus in my life as a 14-year-old. Wow. Um, going home every day to uh, closed doors and locked windows and closed curtains because of all the things that happened behind those things. And... And, you know, he was light for me. He, he personified light. And it was a year, almost a year of walking around with, through, you know, with him. His name was Paul. Before he ever talked with me about God, I knew he was with Youth for Christ. I knew he was with Campus Life. And I was just Kept waiting on when he was going to talk to me about this. Waiting for the pitch. Waiting for the pitch. It never came. It never came. And I tell you, to this day, it is one of the greatest lessons of my life. Because he could have pitched me. And what I realized later, he was pitching me by his life. (laughs) Not by trying to get me to do one thing or another, but... loving me, Mm -hmm. loving me in the midst of my pain and walking the long road that nobody else really wants to walk. They don't hang around that long, you know. Mm -hmm. And because darkness isn't a a good thing to be around for a long time. And he did. And he built trust. He earned trust. And, you know, invited me to a, um, one of these wonderful, amazing, uh, Youth uh, for Christ camps, Young Life has them. Lots of organizations have these. And, and I went off first time I'd ever in something like that. And I came to know Jesus uh, in, that, in that weekend. And while there was a conversion experience in my life, it began a journey. Mm-hmm. A journey of redemption, a journey of discovery. Um, discovery of God, a discovery of myself. And a discovery that the story that I thought had been written in my life for me, as it had been for my parents and um, all the generations before in my family, uh, that went generation to generation with addiction and violence and mental illness. Um, The one thing Paul kept saying to me as we walked together through that first year and beyond He kept saying, you know, Rick, you have choices. You have choices. You know, you could choose differently. Rick, you know, you have choices. And whenever he would say it, I think, what? You have no idea, man. I have no choices. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck. You felt stuck. I felt stuck. And so many people feel stuck. Like the last thing they believe is that they actually have choices. And... It was over time that I began to realize what that actually meant. And uh, God opened up a whole universe of of things in my life that has compelled me to want to 
reach out and, and uh, help other young people like myself who by no bad choices I make or made or that other young people make. They didn't make, I didn't choose to grow up in my dark family. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault and it wasn't my choice. Young people don't choose to grow up in poverty. They don't choose to grow up in a violent home, but there they are, not by a choice they made. But somehow they have to find the wherewithal, the skill, the, the vision, the capacity to find light and to move through it and to come out the other side healthy and productive. Mm. And so that compelled me to help other young people like me. One person can make such a difference in the life of another. It's so true. And I'll tell you one of the things I've learned in having now been in this kind of ministry and work for so long, most of us have that one person or two people or three people in our lives when we're growing up. Could be a pastor, a counselor, a teacher, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, whoever. But there's somebody in their life that has played a huge role, particularly in those formative years in their in their childhood and adolescence and even into their early 20s. Somebody who went the extra mile, somebody who without a condition, somebody who without an agenda loved them, had higher expectations of them than they had of themselves, who saw something more in them than they could see in themselves. They saw the original blessing Mm. that God had given in their life. And it was good. And it was good. (laughs) It was good. You uh, shared something with me, and I don't know if this is a a Rick Littleism or if this is uh, something that that someone else said that has become very much integrated into how you see the world and sort of your philosophy for building into the lives of young people. What does every young person need? Every young person needs at least one adult who is irrationally committed to their success and well-being. That's irrationally. Irrationally committed yeah. to their success and well-being. Like that's so that's so good. That's so good. And it is so true, isn't yes. it? Isn't it true? Yes. And at times, you know, it's 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 counterintuitive because even the word irrationally committed, well wait a minute. Um there's sometimes there's nothing rational about love. There's nothing rational about showing up when you don't want to show up. There's there, there's so much about love as God calls us to love hmm. without an agenda that isn't rational. And it transcends uh, the normal way that we build into each other. It's that God thing. It's that God thing. That's so beautiful. Through your relationship with Paul, you are seeing light in your life and and believing uh, maybe a a grander vision for your life that the story that you thought was going to be the story, just kind of following down the path of this broken family, wasn't going to be the story that you were going to choose. Uh, A bit of your story and how you formed your first initiative, uh, which by the way is quest i encourage people to to check it out online but it's still it's a program that's still a curriculum still being used all over the world right now 100 countries that just yeah that blows my mind 100 countries i would love to know uh some of the story is in um chicken soup for the soul by the way the original chicken soup for the soul by jack canfield um rick's story is in there, and the story is called Rick Little's Quest. Can you take us to a, a bit of what's exposed in that book about the beginnings of Quest? Tell us how the culmination of these ideas and that compulsion that you just described. How did it begin? I know you had a, a pretty serious accident. Was that yeah. kind of the beginning? Yeah, well, it, it began, obviously, just growing up in the environment that I grew up in. Yeah. And then once I came to to know Jesus in a personal way, when I was 14, uh, I just, uh, I was engaged and involved in a lot of youth ministry kind of things and learned a lot. Went away to college at Anderson College in Indiana Mm -hmm. and um, first in my family to go to college or higher ed. And uh, I was home one weekend from school and was out late on a Sunday night, had a three-hour drive back from my little town in Ohio to Anderson, Indiana, and I had an early departure. 
and fell asleep at the wheel as I was driving and um, uh, totaled my car, broke my back, was partially paralyzed for a short while and was in the hospital for about three months and was in therapy for almost a year. And, you know, until you've had an experience like that, you always hear people say, until I lost this, I didn't fully appreciate it. Or until I was so sick, I didn't realize how much I need to value health and life. And that was so true for me. I just, I didn't know if I would walk again. I didn't know what my future looked like, but I knew God was faithful. And I prayed through and healing came with the help of great docs and the great healer. And I came home from the hospital. I was home for three weeks when my mom attempted to take her life. And this might've been the, Mm. I don't know, I lost count, dozens of attempted suicides and several that were kind of close calls, but she ended up in long-term care. And it was at that moment that I just felt an overwhelming call in my life, Uh, not to be dramatic about it, but I, I felt the hand of God on my heart and my head and every part of me to, to um, call me to something greater and that I should commit my life to helping other young people like myself who by no choices of their own are in circumstances they didn't create. Um, and how do they find God's light in the middle of it? And so I committed that and that has been the passion of my heart and my life ever since. And the first venture that uh, I felt called to, to lead and build and create was quest. And it's a curriculum, a set of curriculum starting in kindergarten that take you all the way through high school year after year. I call it teaching the fourth R. You know, everybody's familiar with the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, (laughs) but there's actually a fourth. Those three are pretty important, Mm -hmm. but we all know a lot of people who are pretty good at the three R's. And they live miserable lives. Yeah. They don't know how to hold together a marriage. They don't know how to raise kids. They don't know how to feel confident in themselves. They don't, they live in fear. They're paralyzed by failure. They're whatever. So what's that fourth R, that other part of the curriculum? I call it, and go by whatever name you like, I call it uh, teaching self-respect and respect for others, uh, relationship skills, reasoning skills, Mm -hmm. teaching responsibility. There's lots of ways you can frame it, but it's the other part of the curriculum that without it, the three R's alone certainly do not prepare you for a healthy, successful, meaningful life. Mm. And so you created Quest to help young people learn something that you felt was a an, an obvious gap, something that, that you were missing. It's what even. I wished I would have had yeah. and didn't. And it's what I wish my parents would have had and my brother and my sister who wow. repeated the cycle of our family. And, and I, I asked myself, why not? Why can't we teach these skills? Why can't we teach these life skills? And, and it's more than skills. It's, it's a set of values yeah. and beliefs about yourself and your world. It's opening your heart and mind to seeing the, the bigness of God's world. And I just thought that every school uh, ought to do such a thing. So, and, and many have. Well, it's amazing. You know, <laughs> now, now, today... This was uh, some time ago that I started that uh, today there are about 75,000 school systems in 100 countries and uh, 80 some languages that teach Quest as a regular part of the school curriculum every day. It sits right along math and science and language arts and other, other important subjects. But how much more important is it that we learn all of it. You know, Rick, recently we had um, the joy of celebrating your birthday with you. Um, we do life together. So do. Rick and I are great friends. And uh, Gary and I, my husband, love uh, Rick and Elaine and Sarah Little. Uh, you guys are family to us. And it's mutual. <laughs> Thank you. We just, we love, we love you all so much. And we've shared some great times. And just recently celebrating your birthday was, was, was really special. Um, 65 for yep. you. 
Elaine put together as she, she is so great at celebrating, <laughs> isn't she? She really is. She's Elaine's I amazing. <laughs> she reached out to many of your friends all over and compiled videos from your friends who wanted to wish you well and talk about your impact on their lives. It was just a joy to sit and watch that with you. Some of these stories I had not heard before, Rick, but there was one lady in particular that talked about the impact of Quest even now and how she hears from educators that they have choices and how they um, correct kids and how they help kids that what, what may have been the inclination to be stern, uh, to discipline in even a, a harsh way or what we might consider a violent way, they recognize that they have options now because of this program that you created. And she was sharing this story and our jaws just dropped. <laughs> this was an organization that you formed when you were a teenager still. I was 19. You were 19. You're 65. Yep. The impact, the ripple effect goes on and on yeah. and on. I've, you know, I've had the blessing of being able, because of the, the kind of work that uh, I've committed my life to and that Elaine and I do, uh, you know, I've been to 160 countries and I've seen, it's, it's one of the greatest blessings for me is to be able to see the, the rich tapestry of life uh, on the planet and, and close up mm-hmm. at, at all levels from little villages and some of the most poverty stricken places on earth to some of the most elite um, places on, on the planet. And, and that, that up close, not only because of Quest and the impact of Quest in young people's lives, but mm-hmm. also their families and many of them going into fields of, of you know, social service or ministry of, of one form or another, because of what they learned in, in quest and they want, they, it changed their life. It changed their trajectory. It, it, it helped them begin to embrace a bigger world. And, you know, there, there are countless stories really from all over, but, um, this rich tapestry that I've been exposed to, you know, one of the great blessings you mentioned earlier, a social entrepreneur. Yes. I didn't even know what a social entrepreneur was until (laughs) somebody told me I was one. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, But you know, this idea of always putting your, your, your heart and your head together, it's always best when they're connected, uh, into the next best thing. And what must I let go of in order to make room for something more or better or greater? And that doesn't mean money or fame, or, but it does mean meaning and richness and depth and impact in the world mm. And for me. And so I have been able, first through Quest, I, I started to see how much there is to see in the world uh, close up. And the closer you get, I begin to realize that it's so important to not fall in love with your solution to the problem, Mm. the Quest program. It's Mm. great. It's amazing. It's changing people's lives even now. But there are lots of things that change people's lives, right? God uses many things. In fact, I've seen up close, God used things that I just couldn't imagine God could use that for good. But he does. All things work together for good. And, yeah. and so what that has done for me is to, to realize how important it is not to fall in love with your solution to a problem or what you think the solution is, but to fall in love with the problem. Because the closer you are to the problem, it doesn't mean you like it doesn't mean you, you know, but fall in love with the problem, not your solution. Because when you do that, by definition, it, it builds this ongoing empathy in you. When you're up close to people, when you're in proximity to poor people who have nothing, and yet they are full of abundance. And I never really understood that. I just saw poor people as poor people. They don't have anything. And where I grew up, I was told they didn't have anything because they didn't work hard enough. They could have had it. They could have made different choices. You know, well, the more time I've spent in places, not just of material poverty, but of emotional poverty and spiritual poverty. And it's, it's full 
of abundance. God is there in the midst of it. And we don't, it's not, there's, I love that. What's that children's book, The Little Prince? Yes. And that, that great quote, what's essential is invisible to the eye. Remember that quote? Yeah. What's essential is invisible. And I just, I, I see that when you're in these situations, you're up close to the problem. From a distance, it's not so clear when you get, because it's invisible to mm-hmm. the eye. But when you get in proximity, when you get up close, when you build a relationship, you start to understand the problem in a new way, a fresh way. And so one of the prayers I pray every day is that God will give me fresh eyes today. I don't want to show up tomorrow with the same set of lenses Mm -hmm. through which I see everything, right? Mm -hmm. I want to have fresh eyes so that I can really have my heart and my mind and my spirit open so that God can teach me. And one of the, you may have heard me say this, it's one of my wonderful favorite uh, quotes from a philosopher turned longshoreman uh, (laughs) years ago. And he said, in times of change, the learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Mm. Learners inherit the earth. And so what does it mean to be a learner? And for me, a big part of that is showing up. It's being in proximity it's fallen in love with the problem in a way that I stay fresh and can be a learner and adapt to with people how to fix that problem. There is such a depth of, of humility in that. And I, and I see how that is so much a part of what drives you is you're, you're not in love with your ideas and your solutions and your agenda. You're in love with people. That's what I see in you, Rick Little. You're in love with people. And, and, and I think in our world today, um, oftentimes we see people as this problem that we're trying to, p- to fix. That people are a problem or people are a project, and, and they're not. <laughs> exactly. So true. <laughs> and I, I'm, you know, I love the idea of, of praying for fresh lenses every day, that God would give you fresh eyes to see, um, and that you keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. If you could change one thing about the world and the systems of the world that kind of keep people held down, what would you change? That's a big question. It is a big question. There's so many levels and layers, but what it, where it takes me in my mind is um, how little I really understood before I began this journey Granted, I was young, and but how little I still understand. Really, Re- really, truly, I, you know, I'm I'm involved in many things around the world, and I, and some of them are very big and prominent things, and some of them are off the radar, no one's ever heard of, and they're all equally important. And one of the things I've, um, as a person of faith, probably the, the thing that has been really most Uh, consistently present for me is my idea and understanding of truth. You know, we all, as particularly as as evangelical uh, believers, as, Mm -hmm. as many, uh, you know, as we're called to be, I think it's, it's easy to begin to stand on our understanding of truth. And that's really important. I mean, that's like, yeah, I want to be there. I, that's exactly where I want to be. I yeah. want to be standing firm in God's truth, no doubt. That doesn't change. That doesn't change. I get that. Same yesterday, today, forever. I got it. I believe it. I own it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those both and. It's not. Yeah. There's either truth or no truth. Um, what, I've, what I've come to see in the, the broad exposure I've had is that I want fresh eyes so that I don't limit how God reveals new truth to me. How did I ever come up with the idea that I kind of more or less had the basics of the truth figured out? Really? The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, 
And I kind of got most of that truth. Of course, of course, there's some imponderables. And of course, there's things beyond my pay grade. And of course, I got a list of questions. I'll ask the Lord the day I arrive, right? But a lot of us, me, for sure, I, you know, I kind of had this nicely woven package of truth, which was true. It is true. It's just not all the truth. Because if it is, then it's pretty hard to be open Mm. with fresh eyes every day to say, God, teach me more truth. Yes. Reveal more of yourself to me. Reveal more of your creation to me. And I say this because as I have had greater and greater exposure around the world, things that I've had to reconcile, you know, you know, uh, a uh, dichotomy is like, is like uh, two opposing truths. Mm-hmm. This tension. Tension. And so what do you do with those tensions? And sometimes those come out in, you know, severed relationships and hostility and whatever. But I think, what can I learn? I, my, my eyes are around being a learner with fresh eyes so that God can continue to reveal truth to me. And I don't limit his ability to do that. There are people who would look at a person perhaps from another country or another culture, mm-hmm. a different race, a different color, maybe even a different religion. And they would look at that person and they would have a whole set of filters through which they look at that person. And we all do it, right? Mm-hmm. I do. I, I I, we all do it. We have filters through which we look at people. Yeah. And for me, when I begin to consistently try to embrace that, that person I'm looking at right now, that young person, his parents or whatever, regardless of how different we live our lives, see our lives, understand truth, they think they've got a truth. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I'd like to know more about your truth. Tell, tell me about your truth. I want to learn about that. It doesn't mean I'm agreeing with it. doesn't mean I'm embracing it. doesn't mean I'm giving life to it. It means I'm giving life to that person who grow, grew up in a situation where they were taught this set of truths, mm-hmm. which is very different than my understanding of truth, mm-hmm. and where I stand with God and how I see God's playing out in the world today. I... I I think it's just so important you, you to your question. Sorry for the long answer. Oh, I love it. <laughs> to, to your question, um, what's that one thing or what are the things you would do systemically to kind of, yeah. right? I just think we got too many learned people running around with too much of the full truth without really ever taking the time or, or doing the hard work of crossing some divides that are a little uncomfortable to cross. Could be somebody across your street from your, in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. We, we have so many barriers that if we just took the time, made and, and it's uncomfortable, but we pressed through it and we showed up in an authentic way, uh, and those vehicles exist that allow for that, I think God... At least he has for me. I won't say what he do for other people, but I can tell you for me, he's blown my mind when I thought I understood something or a situation or how this person must really believe. Or I, I, I like I totally missed it. And it's happened so much to me that it's it's made me, I think, want to show up regularly, often, frequently, um, without an agenda, with as few filters as possible with my eyes wide open and with an open heart to say, God, what can I learn from this person? And then out of a relationship, if he's got something to learn from me, from you, right. that the father can teach through me to him or her, great. But my agenda isn't starting there. Just watching how you live and the beautiful diversity of friends that you have all around the world, the different kinds of people that you have close, meaningful, rich relationship with, you know, fabulous people from all different walks of life, from all different um, faith ideologies, from all different um, social constructs. You can be in a room 
with uh, what we would call a, a room full of impressive people, heavy hitters, people that have the financial resources to do all kinds of amazing things in the world. And they would call you to come in a room and help them figure some things out. You could be there and you could also be uh, one-on-one uh, sitting on the floor of someone's hut and learning about someone's life. I, I love this about you. Why are we so afraid, Rick? Why are we so afraid to become learners? Why are the learned so afraid to become learners? I don't know. I, I suppose in part it, it, there's a lot of comfort in certainty. I think people find, all of us do, I do, I'm a lot more comfortable when I'm doing something or in a situation that I understand or mm-hmm. think I understand. Uh, and it's, and when I'm around people that I'm more, you know, easily connected with or, so it's uncomfortable yeah. to kind of get outside that. And it's very easy to, to build these artificial walls. But if you ever start to actually deconstruct, well, why do I have that filter about that? And you kind of source it back uh, to its roots. I can't tell you how many times I've done that and think, wow, <laughs> that's something I think I might have learned when I was 14 that I didn't understand at all, really, but I thought I did. And I'm still carrying that as my, my filter that I'm not even aware of. But it, it affects me today, decades later, in how I react to a person or a situation or something I hear on the news or whatever. It's like, wow, let me, Lord, give me fresh eyes today. Let me open my heart, open my mind, reveal yourself to me so that I can be close to the problem. And in this case, the problem is that I'm, I'm still holding on to stuff that I didn't even know I was holding on to. Yeah. Um, I think that has a lot to do with the fear. I think it's not a, it's a real feeling for sure, but it is um, not based in truth. The Holy Spirit's a great counselor, too, when it comes to that, isn't, isn't he? Isn't that true? I wonder if you ever feel this way. Because I, I look to you as um, a, a role model of someone who is um, always showing me, uh, you and Elaine both, are you, you look at the world through lenses of, of deep love. And I don't realize how many judgments and assumptions I've made about people sometimes until I get up close and God shows me. And the walls start coming down, and I feel so ashamed of it. Like I, I'm like God. I I didn't know that I was carrying that around with me. For anyone who feels a little stuck, where you realize you got some filters, and some judgments, and some assumptions. I guess it's just another way of saying filters that you look at the world, and and you've maybe stopped learning. How can people open up to be uh, learners again? Yeah, it's a great question, and and it's something all of us. Uh, have to continue to be mindful of I, it really it's not it's not natural because the things it's of not. it's not the things of the world don't even reinforce it the th- look at social media today look at the political environment look at so many things that divide yeah and so the world actually reinforces and incentivizes the fear and us living in our learned worlds and mm-hmm. making assumptions that often just really aren't even true. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that until you're up close. So I think part of it is just having a, an awareness of that. I mean, a, a genuine awareness of that. I call it uh, living in the gap. The gap between what is and what could be, right? So what is, is I've got this fear over here. I've got these anxieties. When I, you know, some people think this about that person. Uh or on the other side, I see what maybe could be in the future, mm-hmm. but I don't quite know how to get there. You get there by living in the gap between what is and what could be, right? And that's an uncomfortable place. You mm-hmm. just And what is the gap? The gap is the, the place where you try out some things. You, you, you don't have to do this in one big go. I certainly, it's taken me years and I'm still, <laughs> I've got lots of filters, right? As much as I want to be a pure, authentic um, lover of God's people, 
You still have a lot of filters. I got a lot of filters, right? Really? And, yeah. <laughs> and and so it's it's not like it's a destination. It's a journey, right? And so if you know that every day, it's the reason I pray every day, every day, that that I have fresh eyes, because I know that even though I had fresh eyes today, I'm probably going to wake up tomorrow and I won't have fresh eyes, because that's just. You know, it's a default position for, yeah. for us on this side of heaven. And so I think awareness is a big deal. I think stepping into it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, doing those small steps of discomfort. And by discomfort, I'm not talking about something that's terribly discomfortable but it, or uncomfortable, but it's making a new friend that, that you're not sure about. Yeah, you know, you're not, <laughs> not in your friend group or whatever, um, involving yourself in, a, in a, a group through church or some other organization that, is, that brings together different types of people. I found one of the best ways of crossing these bridges is to actually do something, physical, uh, a project. Uh, together? Work, work together. When a you collaboration? Work, a collaboration, <laughs> you know? Um, Because when you do things together, it's less um, uncomfortable. You're you're right. Yes. You you look at a food drive that was going on recently in in Baltimore, and and it had like the tapestry of heaven right right there. It was right. And probably if you interviewed all those people, it was a secular organization doing it, and but a great organization. And I'm sure if you interviewed all of those people one on one. They had the tapestry of heaven by color and gender and race and all of it. But if you would have talked with them about what they believe, what they believe about God, what they believe about life themselves, whatever, politics, anything, you would have had a very dis- <laughs> uh, diverse group, right? Yes. And had I known that I was going to be working alongside somebody who thought that or believed that or you did what? Um, you know, maybe I wouldn't have shown up, Mm. but by working together on a common thing, you start to just, you know, you have some playfulness and you make jokes and everybody's working toward a common good and, uh, you start to build a relationship and that's a very, uh, that's an easy step in. Mm. The important thing is to take the step in, uh, to show up and, and do that uncomfortable thing. You're making me think of uh, something that you, you've talked to us about for a long time, the uncommon table. Mm. Yeah. I. Uh, what is that, Rick? Oh, I love this idea that, <laughs> that I've done in many places and parts of the world for a long time. I call it the uncommon table. It's bringing together people who rarely, if ever, would sit at the same table. They're, they, they, this group doesn't, they don't. Connect. They don't right? hang out they don't naturally. Hang out. It's is, unnatural. It's unnatural. <laughs> um, around a problem they're trying to solve in their village or their city or their country, whatever. But you bring together people from, they're all God's people. Image bearers made in his image. Amen. Yes. Right? Yes. And so, unless we're going to start making and calling balls and strikes of who is and who isn't, you know. I'd prefer to take the approach, that's up to God, and I am called to love and to bear witness and, and to build into people. And so this uncommon table idea is to bring together people from different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds and ages and uh, all creed, color, and class around an issue. On purpose. On purpose, being intentional about it, and then facilitating that group in a in a set of conversations around how do we uh, address this problem mm-hmm. that affects all of us in our community. It's all of us are affected by this. Mm-hmm. So how can we come together to address that problem? And it's amazing what I've seen happen. I, it's truly amazing uh, solutions that. Had you just pulled together a smaller subset of that uncommon, they never would have come up with that on their own. Wow. Absolutely not. The smartest people at the table would not have come up with a solution because it's better because of the richness of the diversity of ideas and experiences around the table. 
so yeah, the can, uncommon. Can you share an example of one oh. of the most, I guess, impactful, unusual, uncommon tables that you've had the privilege of pulling together? Oh, I, I've done a lot of them, but I, I one one <laughs> one example. I know you live this way, so this is just yeah. a regular part of how you do life. But give me one example. Yeah, so so one example. I you take a country like Yemen. Right now, this is one of the poorest countries on the planet and lots of issues, war-torn country. It's a, it's a, it's a mess mm. and yet full of abundance and full of people, despite their circumstances, who are showing up every day trying to find their way through, right? Young mm. people who are not in school. You got, you got 70, over 70% of the population of the country is under the age of 18, Think about growing wow. up in a country where seven out of every 10 people in your country are under the age of 18. Oh my gosh. Think about that. They need moms and dads. They need moms and dads. They need support. They need systems. They yes. need all the things that think of, think of our kids all under 18, right? That's stunning. Would they, would they be ready to, and so... We have, and I facilitated a series of these uncommon tables, bringing together different uh, religious and, and class groups, but also with adults uh, from the banking sector and the, the uh, social service sector and the government and uh, community organizations and school system leaders. And so brought together a series of these kinds of discussions about... Uh, how do you find or create a job as a young person? Because here, one of the poorest countries on the planet, these kids, when they, when they, for those who finish, which is a pretty modest number, for those kids who finish school, where's the job? There's no job to go to. There's not this big economy that you just mm. go knocking on doors or put an ad or, you know. Mm. Or, so what do you do? How do you earn an income to pay for your life and build a life? And there aren't a lot of options. One of the big options is entrepreneurship, right? So I create my own little business. And so we brought together bankers and lots of and young people, et cetera. And we were able to convince, the young people were able to convince some bankers that they were credit worthy that you could actually give us a loan, small loan, and we'll, we'll start our little business selling ice cream and we'll pay it back within a month. And then if we do that, you could give us another loan for another month and we'll pay it back and we'll grow the business. The bankers, these are traditional bankers who most of their loans, they gave them to business, you know, established bigger businesses sure. run by adults. So this is a real stretch for them. Oh, like, like, are you kidding? <laughs> we're, 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 we can't give loans to these kids. They have no experience. Well, you know, what do they run off of the money? Whatever, they, you know. And, but these kids were amazing. And so the long story short, to cut to the end of it, the, uh, the bankers said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And today, the largest microfinance banking system in, in the country of Yemen, the largest part of its lending portfolio in the country is to young people because they had a higher rate of payback and, and credit worthiness than the adults. Whoa. Think about that. Oh, my right? gosh. So show up with fresh eyes, right? Wow. Bring together uncommon folks and who knows what's possible? Who knows what's possible? There's so many things that I want to talk to you about. And I know I, I eventually have to let you go because I've, I've held you hostage for like a really long time here. Will, will you come back on the podcast again? I would love to do that. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. I would really love I, that. I, I love what you're doing in the world. I love this, what you're doing with this podcast and, and the way that uh, you're bringing life and light into people's, into people's world. It's great, Tracy. Thank you. One more question about the Uncommon Table. Who would you like to bring together right now? Sky's the limit. And they all would say yes. And you could host them and tackle a problem. That's a big question. Too, I'm, I may have to think about that for the next podcast. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to put that one on hold for the but, next one. But what I can say. Yeah. As an American, as a proud American. Yeah. Uh, who's had also the privilege of 
seeing many other countries in the world and how people live their lives and the challenges they face. I'm worried for our country. I'm worried about the division and the divisiveness. I'm worried about the filters that we put on each other um, and the way it's preventing us from moving to the next level where God wants us to be. And he calls us, you know, was it St. Francis of Assisi that uh, said on on the essentials, we need unity. On the non-essentials, we need liberty. But in all things, we need love. Love, charity, yes. If we lead with love, if we lead with an open heart, if we lead with no agenda, if we lead with fresh eyes, knowing everybody, regardless of class, creed, culture, politics, or anything else, is created in God's image, then I just hope, and I would want to be and try to be in my own way a part of bridging that growing divide that separates us for the greater good. Is this a burden that you carry with you every day before God? I hope that it's a burden that every American carries. Mm-hmm. Every American, regardless of what you, where you stand on anything. Right. Every American needs to step up, step out, step forward, and try to find, it's not like we're all going to agree on everything. Right. But on those things we can agree, let's work together in an uncommon table mm-hmm. to find solutions. And Jesus, people, you're called to this. Amen. You're called to this. Um, Rick, thank you so much. Thanks for your life, your time, your your wisdom. What are you dreaming about for the future? I'm dreaming of uh, greater unity for our country. I'm dreaming about um, greater freedom to hug my friends <laughs> and to be together. Yes. And... Um, and I'm not one who says, I can't wait till we get back to normal. You know, normal, what is normal? Normal wasn't so great for everybody. It was great for a lot of people. Yeah. But for a lot of people, the old normal actually wasn't so great. And if we're up close to the problem with fresh eyes, we would see it more clearly. And most of those people in those circumstances didn't create it, right? right. They just are there. And we got to figure out a way through it. So I hope we don't go back to the normal. I hope we propel forward to something better, something greater, and something that uh, is God-worthy. Your Day Brighter is produced by Brighter Media Group, Tracy Tiernan, and John Lawhon. Editing by Julie Gilligan. Make sure you're subscribed, leave a review, and tell us what you think of the podcast. And make sure you share it with someone who needs encouragement today. Thanks so much for listening. And tell somebody your story today, or better yet, ask to hear their story.